Thank you for downloading this Desenio podcast. For more information, visit DesenioDaily.com. We hope you enjoy the program. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. My name is Johanna Argerman-Ross, and I'm the founder of the quarterly design journal Desenio. With me on stage, we have Stefan Tolgard, who's the proprietor and founder of Stefan Tolgard Design Group, looking after interior design and architecture schemes. And then we have uh, Patrizia Moroso, head of Moroso, the Italian uh, furniture manufacturer. Uh, Although both Patrizia and Stefan uh, are very much preoccupied with uh, contemporary design, we thought that it would be um, interesting in a nice moment to delve back into uh, history and looking a little bit at the post-war origins of both Swedish and Italian design. Both of those design cultures, one could say, have developed into very strong design brands with very different and distinct design identities throughout the course of the 20th century. Uh, but how and what is that? What is that, uh, what is that identity? That's a question that I hope that we can uh, delve a little bit deeper into tonight with both of you two, Patricia and Stefan. I thought maybe, Patricia, um, you now head Moroso, uh, head up Moroso, an Italian design manufacturer, but it is very much has its roots in post-war uh, Italian design. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about the origins of Moroso and uh, the history of the company. What is my experience? Because, of course, um, there is a story. What happens in Italy, the terrible, bad war. My parents, like many other young people like them, you have to remember that they were really... She, she was 16 and my father was 20 when they started working together. So before that, they decided what to do of their lives. And um, was a difficult to decide because everyone was going away. So when my mother said, let's go to Canada, for instance, said, okay, uh, maybe yes, but uh, he didn't know what to do. And so he put the coin, tan, 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 and the coin decided, no, you have to stay. So he said, okay, we stay, but not working for someone else. We are young, but we will establish our thing. That was the beginning, 52. I was born a few years later, but I remember uh, my my playground was the, the table of my mother, under the table of my mother. You know, I was playing with fabrics, of course, it's my passion. And, and, um, and the atmosphere was beautiful because all these young people that represent Italy in that moment, you have to imagine Italy where the old people that was also making the world was destroyed totally out of fed and these terrible things. So the young people that was not making the world before, very young, they, they was the only, how to say, part of the population that wanted to do things with a lot of uh, energy because finally the bad things was finished and with a lot of effort. And the beginning was that, and the beginning was also instinctive. I don't know, they, they were not designers that were not architects, of course, but my father was a fantastic drawing, fantastic in design things, and and the first thing were designed by him. So, um, but soon later, in the 60s, for instance, he understood the importance to have someone, ah, and these first things are funny, funny, because they are looking all like American funny things, like a banana shape, or things like that, because of course, America was the winner and was they, they save us. So the total 
how to say, all the young people was dreaming that world. The American dream was coming. And um, before, in Italy, how to say, was not, uh, uh, the living room was not, a, a real room for everyone was, uh, you know, for the rich people with the borghese, bourgeois, okay, uh, with the proper house. They had these and that, and many living rooms. Maybe the salotto bianco, salotto rosso, and, and so on. But not the normal people. Normal people had the kitchen and maybe a little sofa in the same room. And for the first time, the houses start to have a proper room for the for the sofa. Why? Because there was another American thing, the TV sofas were a new big item and was a big, big demand because it was something that nobody had. And eventually they wanted anyway the new one in American style. Yeah, to feel very modern and to have the, the car with the like that, maybe pink or something like that. <laughs> And uh, so 60s arrived and was a, a little bit different with a, 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 an Italian culture that was started to be established and strong and the, and the architects based usually in Milano, that, that place and that is the center of the world of design in Italy. And <laughs> but they started to be influenced and, and they started to, 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 to do things that was important. And in the 60s and 70s, the design in Italy was very radical for the same reason as before, because everyone wanted to change page to turn. And, and so in that time, my father started to work with architects. That was the new, the new, the new person that was introduced in the company. The first architects, they were young uh, architects of my city, but the other one, uh, year 68, so important year, and it was a, a young boy that was making his military service just in the village after the company, and, um, and was very curious, because you know, he was from Milano, but going to Milano for two days in the weekend was not possible, long trains, no highway, it was, Impossible, and so he preferred to stay. And one day, enter in the company, asking my father if I can have a look. I, I'm very interested in. He said, mm, "Good boy. This has a good eyes. This boy is a, has a good eye. His name is Antonio Citterio." <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I think we will we will continue that story a little bit later because no. I, I think we're keen to also hear the continuation. But I think if we go back to you, Stefan, um, uh, even if, of course, Patricia's story very evocative of, of Italy at the time. I, I'm not sure if you can offer the same insight into Sweden in the 1950s. Uh, but no, and, and, and actually the, the, the interesting thing is that post-war Italy is all about looking forward. And, and to explain post-war in, in Scandinavia, um, you need to look backwards, actually, because, um, like you said, we, we weren't in the war. Um, and yet, you know, the, our, our kind of... Um, our, 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 um, the height of our design period was the 50s. So, you know, if the 60s and 70s belong to, to Italy, the, the 50s belong to us. And um, therefore, you need to explain what happened before. So we had, um, you know, ours was an evolution. 
um, after the Second World War, and yours was a revolution. But we had a quiet revolution in a Swedish way, um, uh, in um, the turn of the century, when there was a social conscience that started to, to kind of grow, and Sweden was very poor at the time, people were emigrating, and you had people, I guess, daring to speak out and, and say that there's, um, there needs to be um, there's this beautiful phrase, which is um, um, beauty for everyone. Which, By Ellen um, Kay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. She was a very was a philosopher, and, and she had a, a, an agenda, f for sure. But it was starting to awaken in this social conscience within design. And, you know, th this goes on um, uh, because you know, Sweden was... Sweden had 46 years of socialist government in, in a row. And on that, you can, you can really implement kind of theories. And, and designs um, emulate, I think, or, or mirror the society they're in. So um, you had a very fair um, society, and therefore you had a very fair view on, on design. You, you had a, a really interesting period in the, in the 20s, which was called the, the Swedish Grace period, um, where... It was a kind of Nordic neoclassicism where we stripped everything back. So we took the, the, the classical shapes and, and we, we pared it down, which um, Scandinavians always done, I think. Um, and it, it's a very elegant, very beautiful, but very brief period of, of, of our design history because 10 years later, you, you had functionalism. In 25, Sweden went to Paris at the show and showed the most beautiful pavilion of, of um, this Nordic neoclassicism. And five years later, at the Stockholm Fair, it was all completely pared back and, and functionalism. Um, but, you know, so this grows. Um, 39 was the World Fair in New York. Um, you had Sven Markelius, working with Gunnar Asplund on doing a, a Swedish functionalism again, but it, it had evolved. So this is the, the whole evolution idea, where it, it, it was very democratic, it was very accessible, it wasn't, um, it wasn't elitist, it, it, was, it was for everyone. Um, and then, obviously, the war happened, and, and we continued the, the evolution. So the 50s... Um, and if you go and if you look at most of the designs that everyone kind of appreciates, that a lot of them were designed in the 50s. And that's when um, Scandinavian, not just Swedish, but Scandinavian design exploded on the world stage. And there was a tour in America for about three years on Scandinavian design. And it, I think, has succeeded in, in kind of freezing Scandinavian design in, in time. And, and, and for, for better or worse, because it basically, if you say Scandinavian design, everyone pictures oak floors, white walls, design, you know, mid-century design. Um, if I say Italian design, there's so much to choose from. You know, and, and that's, that's one of the, the, the not problems, but it, it was so well-defined um, and it was so successful so quickly that it is what pretty much everyone remembers of, of Scandinavian design. But, um, uh, you know, the, the it continued um, through the 50s into the 60s, but copies came about and, and kind of diluted the whole thing. So I think we lost our way just about the time when, when Italy was, you know, you had the amazing uh, Italian economy, which was just kind of booming, and, and it, it designed fast-looking, beautiful, interesting things. And, and we were, you know, designing oak things uh, <laughs> that we'd woven, t you know, together. And I, I think it's only recently 
maybe late 90s, uh, maybe 20 years ago, when actually the, the, the mid-century design has become really interesting. Again, people buying, um, uh, you know, birth of first dibs and all that. So, you know, people buying collectibles. Um, and um, it has injected, I think, a lot of energy back into the, the Scandinavian design industry, kind of living on the past, but now, I think finally, now finally, really, yes. yeah, really doing some interesting things. Let's go back to your story, because I'm very curious. You told us um, of the history of Moroso and, and how your uh, father and your mother set up from a very small workshop and, and grew it into a very substantial and now global business. But globalism is very much actually down to you and your brother, I would say, uh, Roberto, who took over in the 1990s properly from your father, who then retired. But what was your vision at that point? Because really what you've done with Moroso is you've taken it in some ways out of the Italian uh, history. What made you have that idea and what made you go down that route with Moroso when, when it was your time to, to steer the company? I don't know. I'm very, I'm going free. And, um, but my, my background I was to be on the side of the artist. So... Um, what I love, especially of my love, is the relation with the person, the creative person. Um, in the end, what I was dreaming to do, so to, to, to be a curator of art, is more or less what I'm doing. Because I'm a curator of artists, for me, that they are fantastic people, that they choose to be designers instead of other things. My first experience uh, as like say our director but in my family they were saying come on what our director yeah, the daughter come on <laughs> okay okay what i did in the beginning is the sign is a uh, is the is the continuing story is the feel rouge of what i'm doing now so these three things young artist and different culture these are three important items for me, and I, I try to keep always in my, in my story. You were saying how you choose. I don't know. But this, in, in any case, they are part of these three groups. And, and that's Moroso as we now know it, of course. So that's very interesting to hear how that all came about. Uh, Stefan, on, on your end, you obviously have developed uh, a business here in London, but mm. you are Swedish. I'm curious to see that the way that you show your, your showroom here, for example, is not really playing up to your Scandinavian or Swedish roots. You, it's a much more eclectic assemb assembly of objects. So how come you decided to sort of not go for the... The obvious. The, yeah. <laughs> it's because I've, I've, I've lived outside of Sweden more than I've lived in Sweden. Um, and I've been in England for 24 years. And um, I think, and, and in specifically in London, which I think is the best multicultural city in the world. Um, so I think, you know, there's a Swedish approach to what we do in the studio. And it's this which I just discovered is quite a popular word at the moment. I've always used it, but uh, I've never heard it before, which is lagom. And uh, lagom I've been fascinated by because it's, it's one word in Swedish and you cannot say that it in one word in English. Um, but this approach, which is not too much, not too little, um, this very uh, democratic Scandinavian thought. Um, and I think we uh, 
approach our projects in that way, where we work in high end, but we're not shiny, we call it in our studio, we're not bling, we're not, um, um, we use fantastic um, furniture from, from all over the world, um, and we design all over the world. So we kind of have to be prepared to be uh, eclectic. Our approach is uh, Scandinavian in its um, logum. <laughs> um, and I think also in its approach um, about the home. Um, I think home is, is very important to Scandinavians. I, I don't know if it's the dark nights in the winter or if it's, you know, w what it is, but but being um, house proud, we, uh, growing up um, in, in the 70s and 80s, we never went out. We entertained. People would come, you know, family would come, um, friends would come, and you would, you would cook up a storm at home, and, and home was hugely important. Um, so I think we, we uh, do a lot of residential design, so I think the approach to home and how important it is for the families that we, we design for is quite a Scandinavian way. When you were talking about um, the, the, how you choose designers, and, and the, there's this... Um, the Italians kind of invented the, the rock star designer, you know, the, 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 the proper, you know, the, the, the architect that steps forward and says, this is how we're to do it. Um, whereas all of Scandinavia is, is completely different. You know, it, it's, it's, there, there's very little, until recently I would say, there's very little ego. You know, there's, um, I think Monique and I was talking about um, this talk um, over the last few days and, and she said something interesting. She said Swedish design or Scandinavian design is more about the question than the answer. And I think that's completely true. It's so based in this, not all positive, by the way, very democratic view of, of um, that everyone should be able to do everything and, and everyone should be able to afford and, and achieve everything. Um, that there's this kind of political... Um, social conscience about it. So that's not very rock star, is it? So, you know, w there's a reason why you have Ferrari and we have Volvo. So <laughs> the, uh, I think there was a long time uh, this um, almost, it was weighing down um, Scandinavian designers from the mid-century onwards because that's how you were, had to um, had to behave and had to be. You know, you, you're, you're meant to think those things. And I think now you've got, in the last um, 20 years, you've got really interesting um, Scandinavian designers coming out with, with um, um, some crazy ideas in front who designs for you, for you I think, uh, uh, are, are definitely a group. Um, but yet you still have, if you go to the fairs today, you have um, new companies but that, that are, in, in, in a beautiful way, still designing democratic furniture um, for the masses and, and uh, you know, very accessible in terms of design and, and price. So it's been a very strong legacy, may, indeed. Yeah, may I add uh, a, little, a little thing? It's an experience around 20 years ago when I started working with Patricia Urquiola. Our, one of our first things because we both was loving Scandinavia, of course, is the, you know, is the starting point of design in Europe. And so we went there more than once. And, but the first time, uh, we went together to, to make a trip. 20 years ago, you have to remember that. And 
And we were so surprised because we didn't see a, a big something. So the past, the beautiful past, you have had, you know, the golden, the golden age of design, probably the, the unique in Europe. And then you pass this, this thing to the modernism uh, in America. But before you was uh, the golden age, and for us the starting point. But with the problem that many times the golden age, the Renaissance, and the make so too beautiful uh, to have to have children. Too, too strong, too unique. And so no children it was a sort of terrible stop because the beauty that you reach in that ears was sublime, of course. So in this trip, me and Patricia was talking about that. But oh, come on, in every place you go, you have a beautiful uh, Jacobsen piece and another. Everything was related with absolutely with the past. And, uh, and so we said, OK. And she said, I got an idea. I want to break this beauty. <laughs> I want to break the symmetry, the beautiful symmetry of these objects. So we came back, and she. Really, in one week, she sent me that design, Fjord. Fjord has that name because it's the memory of the trip together, and we were going, you know, all, the, all along the countries in the fjords, beautiful. And but she said, okay, I want to break a swan, for instance, the most beautiful piece, to break it and put on the sand on the beach and see what happens with the wind and the sun and the water and that like a like a, a shell that in the beginning is perfect and is a, is a perfect object and entire and then. It breaks, and maybe after a while, it could be another beautiful thing, another beauty, the beauty for, of imperfection, the beauty of a broken object, and the beauty of a contemporary world, because we are not no more, you know, we are no more living in a golden age, I think, for a lot of time, and, uh, and we are living in a broken world with a lot of damage and so you have to you have to show the damage done and and that is an important piece because when it came out was just a sofa, just a new armchair, but was like breaking something and everyone was immediately talking about that object ah oh, what is that that symmetry what is, nobody knows but this object for me maintains the memory of the beauty of the past and as the new beauty that comes out from the broken thing. And, um, and, and you, your eyes, your mind, have to find a new equilibrium, a new harmony in what is not more perfect but is broken. And I think that we have to find this harmony in our world because our world is not perfect. You've been listening to a Desenio podcast. For more podcasts, visit desenyodaily.com.